gird your loins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I've seen this movie a lot of times, mostly on TV. Uh, m- most of the time, I usually miss the intro um, because, you know, just catch it when it's on. But uh, the intro to this movie is good. There's some funny stuff in there. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's funny stuff throughout the film. Uh, I... I, I... And b- before we get too far into it, I know that a lot of people might be skeptical uh, of the Devil Wears Prada. Those um, are the, only the people who have never seen the movie. So yeah, how dare you? No, and, and you know I'm not going to say that I'm above this and I was never skeptical because that would that would be so unlike me. Uh, I, and and I, I, you know, it, it took uh, a friend introducing me to the film and being like, "No, you have to seriously watch this. It, it is hilarious and funny, and it's not. Um, it is not perhaps." solely geared towards uh interests that don't align with yours because you know you pitch somebody on this and it's like oh so it's a movie about uh a woman who goes to work at a fashion magazine and it's all about fashion and she gets a makeover and then she leaves the fashion magazine and lives have happily ever after like that if you 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 can get that pitch from any of the uh, trailers or any of that other stuff and it's just like oh she has a terrible boss and it's like well big deal right but uh <laughs> in it actually is much more interesting than than that you know uh description would convey to you uh so i i highly recommend uh the the film and if you haven't seen it before uh go peruse a source and uh, uh, uh watch it because it's it's well worth your time uh, the uh, and we're that's the only spoiler warning you're going to get. Uh, not, not, as I described the entire plot of the movie for you in a matter of seconds, <laughs> um, that it, nothing's going to be like a real twist or a curveball. But uh, those are the things that happen. But that's not necessarily what the movie is about. No, right. And it, it is much it, it is much more nuanced than that. But uh, the the uh, uh, one of the reasons why I selected this because I'd been wanting to talk about this film for a long time. Um, but it's never seemingly on streaming. But you know what? It's the 10th anniversary of the film, so eh, whatever. If people haven't seen it already, then at least you can go out and have a reason to celebrate because it's a national holiday now, Devil Wears Prada Day, and go do it. <laughs> it's like Fashion Week for just a day. Yes, exactly. 100% like that. Um, and totally shot on location in Paris. But uh, the, the all of it. And the... Uh, <laughs> I, I do wonder how much yeah. of this is New York too. Probably not that much. Uh oh, oh, oh no! Actually, a ton of it is is Manhattan. Um, is it really? Even even most of Paris is Manhattan. Um, but the uh, <laughs> it, that's because this film is made by a creative team who worked on Sex and the City. Uh, so uh, you got the director David Frankel, um, and you've got uh, producers, and uh, you've got uh, the the even costume. Uh, custom designed by Patricia Field, uh, which is amazing throughout the film. Um, and uh, they, they, they all worked on Sex and the City and uh, brought that to bear on making this production. Uh, so y- you you get to see a lot of Manhattan-y stuff. Uh, now, the size of Anne Hathaway's apartment is unrealistic uh, <laughs> for... Uh, something that she could afford in the Lower East Side with uh, her, sh- sh- I guess, sous chef, uh, chef, saucier, boyfriend. They don't really specify what level uh, Adrian Grenier is at. 
Well, and he this... just he makes port wine reductions, and then at the end of the movie, he uh, becomes a sous chef. Oh, so then he must be a saucier if he's making port wine reductions. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that that's uh is that the one that the the mouse guy was, or is that above where the mouse guy was? Yeah. What? What? Oh. Oh. Uh. 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 uh ratatouille. Yeah. Yeah. Um. No. I. Uh. I don't. I don't remember exactly the the cooking levels that were demonstrated there but a uh, saucier was pretty low he was like the emily of the kitchen yeah well uh, a sauce uh, a saucier is is you know uh from from the uh uh latin root of sauce um so they they make they make they make sauces and uh pretty sure that's not latin no it's not um and so they, they uh, it, that would be a osse but they, they so he makes he, he makes osse <laughs> no that's uh, uh, I say, I say, I say. Uh, he's a saucier, and uh, they. <laughs> oh my God, uh, Foghorn Leghorn. Oh, what a character! Uh, so they, 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 uh, they have them, and they can't afford this place. But there are some some flights of fantasy in here uh, at many levels. Uh, so you just gotta gotta go with the the, the the punches. There, it's not it's not so terrible. I mean. Uh, the writer for this also wrote another uh, ca- another film categorized as a rom com that I quite like, which is is uh, uh, Twenty Seven Dresses, uh, Elaine Brosh McKenna. Uh, and so, you know, I also like that one, and she has an unrealistic apartment there as well. Oh, uh, yeah, she's yeah. Uh, she's a frequent guest on the uh, Script Notes podcast. Yes, uh, I think she is. She is friends with the John and Augusts and the the Craig Masons. Um, yeah. So. You know, good for her, and she she makes things. Uh, but they this this film in two thousand six uh, was a bit of a surprise because it's based on a book, uh, which is by Lauren Weisberger, who was an assistant that worked for Anna Wintour, the uh, notoriously difficult, prickly, icy uh, ed- editor of uh, Vogue magazine at the time, and. She had a very difficult working relationship and did not get along well uh, and wrote sort of this uh, fictional tell-all kind of thing where character names were changed from who they were in real life and some things were amped up a little. But it was basically sort of a mean takedown of her mean boss. Um, I don't necessarily feel bad for anybody involved in that, but uh, the the movie is very different from the book. Um Notably, Streep, uh, Meryl Streep, when she was involved, uh, brought a lot of influence to bear on trying to round out and make the uh, character of Miranda Priestly uh, a little less like Anna Wintour, um, and to also make her less like the character that's inside of the book and make give her more dimension. Um, so you, you, you see a lot of that stuff. And I think this is one of those cases where uh, the amount of collaboration that goes on in the production of this film is like a bunch of people all working together and everything just clicks from the costume to the editing, to the the cinematography, to the director. None of it is super remarkable, um, but it all functions together in a very harmonious way. Uh, and sometimes that is not always the case when you're watching a film. Uh, so I, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. I, I just recently watched Johnny Mnemonic for another podcast for the incomparable. And that was pain. Absolute abject pain where no one was working together harmoniously with anyone involved in it uh and so you you can you could really appreciate when people show up to do their work <laughs> uh is all i'm saying mm-hmm. uh, but uh 
this film starts with uh, the the KT uh, Tunstall uh, suddenly I see montage, which will get stuck in your head forever when you hear it. Um, and uh, it's the uh, people people with their morning routines. Uh, some of the people from the magazine getting ready to go to work. Uh, and, and, <laughs> it very quickly sets the uh, the tone of uh, look at her. She's not super into appearances, but she's in New York, and all these other people really are. And she's just you know la di da, going about her day, getting ready. Yeah, and she she stops and gets her onion bagel on her way to her new job. Ill advised. <laughs> I also love that there's that other quick shot of uh, somebody putting like seven almonds in a bowl. <laughs> yes as their breakfast yeah to, to demonstrate the uh severe diets that they're on uh there there's also you know people putting on heels and scarves and hailing cabs and uh she's like smearing on some lipstick and stuff and uh she uh, sorts through her uh newspaper clippings that she did for her college newspaper at northwestern that are mounted on these blackboards which she's hoping to present uh, when she goes to meet with Miranda, uh, we don't we don't know that at the time, but you can obviously tell she's on her way to apply for something. Um, she doesn't have the smooth intro here because we immediately bump up against Emily Blunt, uh, who is this is her first film, and she is amazing. She is a scene stealing, amazing actress in this, uh, and everything that she delivers is uh, like acid. Like she is, <laughs> she is angry and upset and everything's beneath her at all times uh it, it is it is wonderful to watch her interact with Anne Hathaway who is playing basically this if this were you know if you think about this in comedy terms she's playing the straight man to uh, uh Emily Blunt's sort of over-the-top character hi uh I have an appointment with Emily Charlton Andrea Sachs yes great Human resources certainly has an odd sense of humor. <laughs> Follow me. So she's she's this uh, very earnest, uh, well-meaning, uh, humble, polite, uh, keyword there, polite uh, person, uh, even to her own detriment, where she's uh, unsure of herself and doesn't think too much about the difficulty around her, that everything's just going to kind of flow uh, and you can quickly tell from the fact that she doesn't know who Miranda Priestly is um, or much of anything about Runway and the fact that she's like, oh, it was either, you know, auto magazine or this. And, and you know, it, it's just like, wow, that's, that's pretty sad. Um, yeah, the, the, the notable part, I think, in the beginning is that she's um, so, like, casually ignorant about the entire situation that she's walking into that she's just like, oh, I'm not worried or afraid or really anything i'm a writer and here's my stuff but it very quickly dawns on her the the gravity of the situation that she's found herself in and uh you know we spend the movie trying to see whether or not she's actually going to step up and live up to those expectations yeah and we get our first hint of the devil uh when uh miranda calls and uh, miranda's driver calls and uh says that she's coming in early and this is where uh stanley tucci shows up uh, and it does the little thing like what's who's that? And it like points at you know her through the thing. Um, as where she can't see it, uh, which is funny. But it, then I think Stanley Tucci is the best part of this movie. Uh, he's he's fine. I I like him a lot, but uh, he, I wouldn't say he's the best. I I, I like Street. He gets and, a lot of the good lines. 
he does, especially the the shouting "gird your loins" um, as as he <laughs> shouts to the office for everybody to get ready. Are you jealous because you've never had an opportunity to shout "gird your loins" at anyone? No. Um, I used to work with a guy who used to say that all the time. Because of this movie, or no, nope, nope, completely, genuinely, that was a thing he would say. In like a Stanley Tucci esque kind of a way, or in nope, like a completely, one hundred percent serious way. Wow, <laughs> that's that's quite amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they, you see everyone freaking out and running all over the place in a panic. You see people putting on makeup and checking it in their eyesight cameras. <laughs> uh, the Max in this movie, hilarious. Uh, tech technology, yeah, especially the cell phones uh, that you see pop up in here. I hope you like the T-Mobile ringtone. Uh, the- <laughs> First of all, the T-Mobile sidekick uh, basically deserves a uh, a SAG credit for this movie because it is featured so heavily in the entire thing. Yeah, uh, sidekick uh, walk of fame, uh, definitely for sure. But the uh, the we get the uh, the model who's going to step onto the elevator until Miranda Priestly walks in front of her and she apologizes and demures away from being inside of the same elevator as her. Uh, so. These are all red flags, and we haven't heard Streep say anything until she bumps into uh, Emily Blunt, and she very quietly and very softly reprimands her. I don't understand why it's so difficult to confirm an appointment. No, I'm so sorry, Miranda. I actually did confirm last night. The of your incompetence do not interest me. Tell Simone I'm not going to prove that girl that she sent me for the Brazilian layout. I asked for clean, athletic, smiling. She sent me dirty, tired, and paunchy. And RSVP, yes, the Michael Kors party. I want the driver to drop me off at 9.30 and pick me up at 9.45 sharp. Then call Natalie at Glorious Foods and tell her no for the 40th time. No, I don't want duckwise. I want torts filled with warm rhubarb compote. And then call my ex-husband and remind him that parent-teacher conference is at Daltner tonight and then call my husband, ask him to please meet me for dinner at that place I went to with Massimo. Also, tell Richard I saw all the pictures that he sent for that feature on the female paratroopers and they're all so deeply unattractive. Is it impossible to find a lovely, slender female paratrooper? No. Am I reaching for the stars here? No. Not really. Also, I need to see all the things that Nigel has pulled for Gwyneth's second cover try. I wonder if she's lost any of that weight yet. Who is that? Nobody. And, um, uh, well, Human Resources sent her off about the new assistant job, and I and I was sort of pre-interviewing her for you, but she, she's hopeless and totally well, wrong. Well, so. clearly, I'm going to have to do that myself, because the last two you sent me were completely inadequate, so sent her in. That's all. Quiet. And there is a direction that she could have taken as an actress where she could have gone big and bold and shouting and, like, furious with everything. But there is this incredibly subtle simmering searing disappointment rage in everything like every little thing that you do is going to get this little whisper of uh, a reprimand from her and so that i think it's a really interesting choice as an actor to make uh with the role that she has here rather rather than just being some shouting shrill uh person uh, yeah, she, it's a it's a great representation of her power. She doesn't need to shout to get people to do her bidding. She can talk very softly, and people will still sort of do whatever she has to say, and you know, count out to her demands and listen to her opinions. And uh, she's just very clearly the uh, the most important person in the building. Yeah, and because she speaks softly, it sort of draws everyone into her 
to interact with her because you can't like have a conversation across the room with somebody who's whispering. So you <laughs> got to get up in their grill and then just be slowly reprimanded for being anywhere near them. Um, so she, she, it, it, the, the performance is quite nice. The, uh, uh, she walks right past, uh, Andy, uh, Anne Hathaway and she, she, asks emily who that is and emily's like oh no one you know human resources center not a big deal you know i was just gonna send her off and she says well clearly all the last people you you've sent me have been terrible so i need to talk to her myself and that's not entirely sure how human resources just decided to send her like yeah you fit the the criteria you're gonna go there you have a degree sure yeah uh, well i think i think human resources was probably like you know what she keeps sacking all these people screw her i'm gonna <laughs> we're gonna send we're gonna send uh we're gonna send this person it's really just uh completely fluster her and ruin and and uh suck up her time and that, that's what we think of her as human resources uh but it's already it's already yeah. setting up that uh you know she doesn't fit the mold and you know they had to fire the last two or three which she actually says that later you know mm-hmm. it's always the people who love the magazine and idolize her and they really just want to be there but they always turn out to be uh disappointing or slow or dumb or something and she's the smart one even though she doesn't fit in so let's see if she can do what everyone else couldn't and yeah uh well later on she her specific line of disappointment i believe is something like you know i I told myself take a chance hire the smart fat girl which is an awful thing to say like really just brutal um and she's she streep is tearing up a little bit as she's saying these terrible cutting remarks to andy painful cutting remarks to andy and uh andy is also tearing up so it is it is not a comfortable scene to watch when you get to that but uh skipping ahead of course the the scene that they interact with now um it's not even immediately clear from their interaction that meryl streep has approved of her to remain as the assistant and when andy leaves she is confused she doesn't even know like would she just go home or what and she starts you know heading out of there and then it's just like nope you're you're on board we're keeping you uh and uh, on her way out the door she at least uh, you know gives one last i'm not afraid of you kind of like thanks for your time sarcastically because again she's she has no idea what kind of world she's in and the fact that people don't do this and she's just like well thanks for being a jerk i guess i'll leave now and then you can you can see streep give one last sort of like glance to her as she's wandering out the door it's like all right well she's got a little bit of spirit in her so why not yeah she's got a little spunk um and so they they have her leave and she's gonna go back and uh she's hired and they're all celebrating her her and her her buddies um the guy from mad men and then a lady I'm not familiar oh, with. Yeah, it's the guy from Mad Men. Yeah, uh, before he did that, and uh, Adrian Grenier, and they're they're all like chilling out and being cool adults and having their wine and stuff. <laughs> See, this the thing about this movie that I actually appreciate is, for the most part, and again, my my few criticisms uh, are when the movie you know veers against this is that it's a relatively honest sort of smart adult take on problems that people have as they you know start to go get jobs after college and become adults and have to, you know, take responsibility for their actions. And like, if you actually want to succeed in business or life or whatever, these are kind of the things that you have to do and take ownership of. And like, I really appreciate that they take an honest uh, approach to a lot of that stuff. Um, And it's genuinely kind of adult-like where it could be a lot more of a caricature. And I think, um, you know, the, the, 
the realistic characters that were written for this, and again, you talk about Street bringing her own personality to it, are, uh, you know, they, they really adds dimension to both the film and the, you know, the, the believability of these things that are happening. And uh, th- that's refreshing, if nothing else. Yeah, and we go immediately to the very early morning wake-up call of uh, the, the coffee order, where she just starts rambling off things, searing hot, uh, that need to be <laughs> delivered from, from Starbucks. And she's uh, just befuddled, like, 6.15 in the morning, staring at an alarm clock, going, why is my phone ringing? Yeah, and it's, it, it's quite funny. Uh, and so she, she gets into the office, and then they're talking about, like, bathroom policies, and it's like, oh, you know, God, she, she like, sliced her hand open with a letter opener or something, and she thought she could leave her desk, and she didn't. Miranda missed a call to Carl Lagerfeld before he got on a, I think it was 19-hour flight to Australia. And and uh, she's, like, working at uh, uh, oh, some terrible publication now. Uh, oh, TV Guide. Uh, and, you know, this this scares Andy. And so, you know, okay, I get the point. You know, always man the desk. Gotcha. Uh, and this sets up some tension later on when they have some bathroom break scenes. But uh, they... <laughs> the, <laughs> it's important bathroom breaks are important uh and uh you know she's got they go through the explaining terminology about you know this is what the book looks like uh this is what uh the 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 phone system you know you got to call and answer and say you know you've got this person blah 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 blah. you know here are the coats you know go take them into the thing and then uh i think it's giselle bushenden shows up and she's emily blunt's friend and she's all like I thought you were joking and it's funny. It's like, no funny, isn't it? Um, but they, they leave and she gets her lunch break and she gets corn chowder and you know, the main ingredient in corn chowder is cellulite. Don't you? Um, and so that's a wonderful scene from Tucci where he's just being a jerk face. Uh, and they don't even get time to, to eat before she dumps it on her poly blend and has to go back upstairs because they're already (laughs) late for the meeting. I mean, Stanley Tucci is relatively neutral through most of this. I mean, he's just very sort of matter of fact, sassy about the whole thing but it's not like he's wrong or anything it's just you know he's he's the character that adds a lot of color to it and it's great yeah and yet he somehow uh manages to be on the good side of miranda and like one of the few that does not get reprimanded no matter what he says well it's interesting because he seems to have a policy of not necessarily backstabbing anyone but putting in one hundred and twenty thousand percent whenever he's required to uh and being extremely exceedingly patient uh so and his opinion is trusted. I mean, once you get to the the cerulean scene, you know, you see that they're actually having sort of a collegial conversation about comparing it to different things, and they both clearly have the uh, the back catalog in their brains to compare against. But uh, you know, they're uh, they're both on the same level when they're talking creatively. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we, there's that. They they leave the lunch. They meet Irv in the elevator on the way back up to the thing. This is the cerulean scene. Um, the cerulean scene is amazing. It is probably the best scene in the film. Uh, I, I, I love it quite a bit because you get you can apply this to many other fields where someone who's not that interested in something might not be able to go along on the ride of taking something seriously as Andy is not able to go along on the ride of taking the comments about the, the two uh, turquoise belts being so different uh you know she's just like oh you know i'm I'm just still learning about this stuff and then we get the amazing cutting monologue here from uh 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 meryl streep as she goes this stuff 
And then she starts rambling off all of the lists of things that came to be to form what became her sweater that she's wearing, what Andy's wearing. Because even though she thought that she was making decisions that uh, made, that put her above everyone else, like the, in terms of that, she doesn't care. She doesn't care how she looks. She doesn't care what people think of her. She's fine. She's just wearing fine, normal things, and it doesn't matter. It's like, no, you what you're really wearing is the stuff that has filtered down to you from the decisions that we have made. And that you are not even conscious of that stuff because you think that you're so above it. Uh, and it's not necessarily an incorrect speech i mean technically none of the events that she cite has have occurred but um she she it, it, you know it, it's plausible that you could imagine these these specific colors etc uh but the it's very uh you get to see that progression and how she's not aware of it and how she thinks she's above something and uh, she's she's right actually involved in it uh, and it you know, cuts her to the quick. So much so that when she goes home later that night to Adrian Grenier's making her dinner uh, at God knows what hour, uh, he's he's making a, an $8 worth of Yalsberg grilled cheese sandwich <laughs> in his cast iron pan. Um, and uh, she doesn't want to eat it because everybody's so skinny and she's not. And it's kind of rough. Uh, but he eats it. Um, so, you know, it's eight, I would do- too. $8 worth of Yalsberg. That's good. Yeah. And, you know, really what this is getting to is, again, that whole sort of, like, while you think that this is just, like, people playing fun dress-up or whatever, like, there are a lot of people, billion-dollar industry, you know, taking this very seriously and making decisions, and because of those decisions, that you know, there are things that happen, and they do affect you, too, whether you want to play in the, you know, in this industry or not. Like, you have to recognize that you're part of it, whether you want to be or not. So, you know, act like an adult. And uh, she's kind of not, because she's scoffing at everyone in the room and you know once she begins to take it seriously and sort of understand the the world is bigger than just you know her tiny little interest in what does and does not interest her uh she can move on and grow as a character into the next portion of the film yeah and the the next portion here is the the uh montage of coats uh and purses <laughs> Uh, and the sort of rambling commands that are that are sort of incoherent about things that she needs to do, like you know, get Patricia, uh, find me that thing from the other day, and it's like just <laughs> my favorite was the yeah. where's that piece of paper I was holding yesterday? <laughs> yeah, uh, but these are the sort of ridiculous claims that some people make. I mean, not everyone expects them to be followed through on to this degree of. Uh, it, exact precision but it is it is funny and you know the editing makes that that scene work and you get the the idea that she's been there for several days and trying to to make all this uh function uh and uh the scene finally culminates in her going to uh uh, miranda going to miami and she's finally uh excited that she gets to go out and see her dad and it all backfires because they they already had plans to go to Chicago, but Miranda needs to get home right away. And there's like a hurricane or something, but you know it's no big deal. Uh, it, it is entertainingly shot because the the silhouette of palm trees blowing in the wind is it's kind of funny. But uh, it does <laughs> yeah, like a Category Five hurricane out the window. She's like, "What? It's just some water and wind or whatever. Get me on a plane." And then. Uh, <laughs> uh, her dad joking like what do you want to call the coast guard you're like no wait would they do that can i call the coast guard that would be no yeah i think it's too ridiculous when trying to get her out of miami no and the 
there is this uh, uh this is where we get that painful scene of her talking about how disappointed she is because she missed the twins recital uh, and how she's you know took a chance on her and how this is all backfired and like it's it's, it's an awkward painful scene to watch here uh and Anne Hathaway is in tears and leaves the office and goes to talk to the only person that she believes that is on her side in this and that's Stanley Tucci and then Stanley Tucci very matter-of-factly says you know you're not really trying you know in in places where people dream to work you only deign to work uh and he he's he's laying out the facts and con- confronting her on her perception that she's she's really trying it's like no you're not you're not really trying you're 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 showing up and you're doing a job you're you're not you're not giving the level of uh uh thought and care that other people would give in this position yeah it's you've been given a great opportunity whether you think it's a great opportunity or not because you didn't want to be here uh it's a different story but this is a big opportunity with big demands and you know this is another one of those scenes that i i really appreciate in terms of its sort of like grown-upness is just that like you know she's complaining that she doesn't even get a thank you when she does something right and all she does is get berated when you do something wrong it's like well welcome to being an adult who has responsibilities in a job like this is your job do your job and you don't you don't need people to like coddle you and say great job every time you do any little thing it's like this is what you're expected to do and do it if you go above and beyond maybe that you'll get that sort of thing but basically you're just doing the bare minimum to get by and it's biting you in the ass every time you do it because you know you don't look happy you're not doing a great job and uh you know it's just you're underperforming so step up or quit what do you want to do yeah and you know it's millennials right no, <laughs> just kidding. I mean, this, this, this is basically the thing that people complain about with millennials. They 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 are entitled or whatever, and they they want you know special treatment for just doing what the you know the bare minimum or something like that's you know the straw man argument against millennials or whatever. But like yeah. that's that's literally what this movie is setting up because you know she's a fish out of water and she's just like she's not fully committed to being part of this thing, which is what it would require if she wants to be successful because this is clearly a job with a lot of responsibility so you either commit or you get out yeah and then she appeals to nigel to help her out with this and he's just like okay well we're gonna have to do a lot of work i'm not sure anything's gonna fit you but we'll give it a shot and they start picking out manila blonics and uh chanel uh you're in di- dire need of chanel and they, they go picking through things and it's like you know we got to go to the beauty department and, you know, God knows how long that's going to take. They And uh, she walks back into the room, I don't know, five hours later. Uh, and uh, <laughs> she, she's all dressed up and looks the part and smartly answers the phone and tosses her hair. And is just like, yes, uh, I'll tell I'll tell her that you called, et cetera, et cetera. And Emily Blunt is just stunned and shocked. And uh, Giselle Bichon is just like, oh, she looks nice. And then uh, Emily Blunt is just very angry that she said something nice about her the look of disgust on emily blunt's face is wonderful um and uh the they they this starts a a progression where we get a a montage going through all of the different things that uh she's wearing to go to work um and uh oh wait no first is the the phone call where she, they they all tease her and take her stuff but don't give her the phone blah 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 blah, blah. but they 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 have the montage of her in different clothes uh that goes by really fast and they like ma- do some clever wipes uh, as as you know some directors might say where the car, a car <laughs> passes in front and then she's in a different outfit and yeah. you know she walks behind 
um, a display or a newspaper stand, and she's in another outfit. Uh, so you know, it's 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 interesting. Uh, and she she's, has... start, she's starting to play the part, which is like step zero into like being welcomed into this world, and you know, you eventually see that her colleagues and Miranda are kind of giving her a slightly different look, like, oh, maybe you're maybe you're worth paying attention to now because you're actually like showing up and pretending to be part of the team rather than just being like an outsider who has a desk here. Yeah. And they, you know, she, she gives him the swag and gets the phone call and has to go take it on the sidekick and then go to the James Holtz party, uh, to get the thing for the stuff for the reasons. Uh, and this is just an <laughs> opportunity to introduce James Holt, uh, who will appear a couple times later on. And also, uh, to introduce, uh, uh, the mentalist, um, who, <laughs> Is total, total, total jerkwad. Um, Simon Baker with his big bushy blonde eyebrows. Yeah, and curly blonde hair. Is he? Is he just like, oh yeah, I'm really, really hot stuff. And, a lot of scarves. Lot of oh, very, very New York. Yeah, he's he is such a jerkwad. Like everything about him. Like I don't even, I don't understand the appeal of this character at all. And even when he takes, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when he takes a sip of the champagne. He misses his mouth a little bit, and in the the defocused over the shoulder <laughs> shot, you can see a little dribble of champagne. <laughs> um, no, I but, did not see that. Anyway, it's 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 pretty silly, and uh, so they, they they have their little exchange. She's like, "Oh well, I'm much better than the the other ones," and he's like, "Oh, you're not gonna last long because she's so mean," and she's like, "I'm gonna totally last long because I'm amazing," and she, <laughs> which is you know technically they're both correct, uh, and they they. Uh, have her leave this and go to the office so that they can make arrangements to go to uh, James Holt to go through the things before he does his show. Uh, and Stanley Tucci explains the the rules for this, uh, where he's like, you know, what uh, a nod uh, means this, you know, uh, uh, etc. And there's only ever been one smile, and that was you know 2001 uh, Tom Ford and. Uh, you know, there's the pursing of the lips, and it's like, well, what's that mean? It's like catastrophe. And uh, of course, there is a James Holt dress that has a giant bow on the front of it. Um, this is a very, very odd looking bow dress thing. Yeah, it, but it, it is meant to be. It communicates the point of this is not a good dress. Like, as a casual observer who knows nothing about fashion, you would look at that and be like, this is bad. You see the reaction shot of Stanley Tucci. You see the reaction shot of uh, Miranda, and she does the the lip pursing to the very, extreme. Very slow lip pursing. Yeah, uh, and then they they all walk out of there, and then within earshot, she Andy asks Stanley Tucci to explain to her, you know, oh, it's just because she made that face, they're gonna not do this, and it's like, oh, you don't understand. Her opinion's the only opinion that matters. Which is, which is you know, really hammering home a point we've already established like five thousand times. But uh, she is, uh, she is the pinnacle taste fluencer in the uh, fashion industry. Yeah, and then they they have a conversation about the things that Andy needs to do before Miranda gets in the car, and she's like, "Oh, I already did all those things," and she's like, "Oh, well, great. I want you to bring me the book tonight. Uh, Something that Emily had said that she's been doing prior to that." So Emily gives her the key and gives her the speech. You know, walk in. Leave it, hang the dry cleaning in the closet across from the stairwell and put the book on the table with the flowers. Do not talk to anyone. Do not do anything else. That is it. 
and this is this is like the base equivalent of like you've got a promotion now like you have some more responsibility now but now the stakes are even higher so here here's what you got to do like you know no seriously do this this is very important yeah but the problem is uh there are several doors across from the very wide stairwell and there are several tables that have flowers on them. <laughs> All of the tables have flowers on them. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is it is a real interesting choice trying to decide what she should do. And she's a little confused and befuddled by what course she should take. Uh, the the A smart uh, person would take a step back outside, make a phone call maybe. Or nowadays we would FaceTime somebody and just like quietly point at things. Yeah, well, or or send a text message to Emily Blunt, or uh, even better yet, just open the first door that's across from the stairwell and leave the book on the first table with the first set of flowers. Because that is more likely to be the, the, the thing. And it turns out that the first door across from the stairwell is the one, thanks to the twins pointing it out. And then the twins uh, are like, yeah, you know, so you can leave the book with us. Just bring it up here. We'll take it. And then, for some reason, Anne Hathaway is overwhelmed by two toddlers suggesting things to her and decides to walk upstairs inside of the apartment, uh, which is an unfortunate choice. And she comes in on Miranda and her husband, uh, who I think this is her third husband, if I remember correctly, uh, having a very, a very uh, unfortunate conversation about their private lives. Uh, there's very, very much to the chagrin of Miranda. Then the next morning, uh, she she goes into the office and Emily Blunt is beside herself because this was not what she was supposed to do. And Emily Blunt has absolutely no guidance for her because this is going to be bad for everyone. Uh, and then, sure enough, we we get a series of demands uh, that, that start to unfold, which are purposefully designed to be impossible for her deli- to deliver on adequately uh, and and for uh, Anne Hathaway to succeed at. This is this is sort of setting her up for failure. This is this is this is torture. Yeah, and you know, I think in a lesser movie you would see like, oh, she's just doing this to be spiteful because you broke the rules. But in this one, it's genuinely sort of feels like, uh, you know, these characters who have all been like looking up to Miranda or are supposed to follow everything she says. She's infallible. She's the boss, whatever. She caught her in a moment of weakness in her own home. And uh, she needs to sort of reset that power dynamic in the workplace. Uh, so she's going to do all kinds of crazy over the top nonsense, even, even more over the top than it has been the entire time to sort of just say that like, look, uh, whatever you think you saw there, that there's don't look at that and think that there's weakness here because I am in charge. I am on top of the mountain, and uh, you're going to have to do every little thing that I demand. Yeah, this is this is power here being displayed because she or she wants a steak her uh, steak from uh, Smith and Malinsky delivered. Uh, they're not open yet. She wants that uh, on her desk by a certain time where she's got to run and get it before they they would even normally do this stuff. And she gets it back there, sets it all out, and then Brandon doesn't even want it. She's got to throw away the steak. She's like, what are you doing? I have a lunch meeting with somebody else. Like, throw that away. Yeah, it is, it is, it, it, and of course Miranda knew all of that. She's just, this is explicitly to torture her and to to uh, cause this drama. And then uh, there's the demand about the Harry Potter manuscript, uh, which 
today would be charming, but uh, they... The, <laughs> Remember when people read Harry Potter? Yeah, but way back in the day. Uh, well, they're making, they're making more of the stuff. Uh, the internet was all a Twitter about the uh, Il Vornay or whatever, the American school for witchcraft and wizardry started by some... Anyway, we're not going to get into it. But uh, that that has something to do with the new movie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Tons of money. But the they, they have this exchange where uh, she's got to get this impossible-to-acquire manuscript, and... Uh, this is where she relies on every contact she can think of, including Sketchy Party Guy, uh, who... <laughs> He's a very famous, well-connected writer in the New York uh, magazine scene, so he could potentially know some publishers, and uh, yeah, she calls him and says, like, hey, can you find this unpublished thing? And he's like, what? Seriously? Are you kidding me? Yeah, and but he happens to know the person who does the covers for the books, and she happens to have a copy of the manuscript... Uh, so she can get her hands on that and then she can make her copies and she does and she binds them uh, and hands them to the kids on the train. And and we see that unfold uh, through a reveal uh, because Miranda is like, well, I don't see them. Where are these magical copies? And uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the darkness uh, right before the dawn. You know, she th- she's at her wits end. She's getting ready to quit. She's about to cry. She's like almost crying on the phone with her boyfriend saying she's going to fire me. I might as well quit. Like I'm a failure, you know, you know, even though she knows that she's doing all this on purpose. But turns out she accidentally kind of sort of succeeds and then goes over the top just in like a little bit of a throw it back at her. Like, oh, not only did I get you that thing that you wanted, like I went above and I got it bound so they didn't look like crappy manuscripts. And they're with your kids on the train on the way to grandma's house. Anything else you need? And Meryl Streep's just kind of like, oh, wow, look at that. And she just does her little, uh-uh. And then, like, sassily grabs her Starbucks and spins her her chair away so she can go back to whatever it is she was doing. Yeah, and then we go to uh, some domestic unsettlement where Anne Hathaway is doing the the Twins Science Fair project, and Adrian Grenier is like, no, you shouldn't do that. That's, that's BS. And uh, she's like, oh, well, you know, I got to do stuff. And uh, we go to the the shoot in Central I Park. I didn't actually quit, basically, is the thing, you know, because she told me to quit. Yeah. And he's like, you know, it's not about the whatever, man. I don't care what you do for a living as long as you do it with some integrity. This is that scene, right, where he's he's getting all high and mighty about it. He's like, I make crappy stuff for a crappy restaurant, but at least I have my integrity. It's like, I, I have a little trouble believing this because, um, like, she's sacrificing herself or her personality just to get ahead at this job and like putting her friends and family second. I'm like, or is she just kind of like, you know, stepping up and, you know, pulling out all the stops and doing everything that she's capable of doing to succeed at this, whether or not, you know, this is ultimately the thing that she should or or wants to be doing. Like she's, she's doing a really damn good job at this particular task. And shouldn't she sort of be, Kind of, you know, be, be a little bit more supportive about that kind of thing. Like, sure, you have to, like, change yourself and sort of mold yourself to the position a little bit. But uh, this is where it starts to turn uh, and do some of the things that I don't particularly love in this movie, where it gets a little bit sort of, like, middle school, high schoolish with, you know, the throwing the emotion around and everything is very serious and dramatic. And it's like, uh, I think you should ease up a little bit there, man. This is This is her job. And you don't have to be so critical about, like, personality here yeah i don't i think you were i think you were right on both counts that you know she is putting her job first before everything else which is not 
healthy, but you know, people have to do that sometimes. Also um, not entirely uncommon for people in their twenties who have a big job, like right out of college and who really want to, you know, try and like, you know, hit the ground running or just get ahead and do whatever they're doing. Like you get an opportunity like this, you sometimes have to make sacrifices. Yeah. You got to hustle. And, you know, so I think, I think it is both those things that she is putting in the effort at work and it is also making some of the things in her life secondary, but it's not saying that it's not necessarily saying that those are horrible um, and that he should come down so hard on her for it because I happen to know from reading some other books like Anthony Bourdain's, you know, behind the scenes kitchen stuff that sometimes working inside of a restaurant is not super smooth and it does take up a lot of time. So he is also probably spending a lot of time working in a restaurant, working weird late hours uh, or going in very early in the morning or going in very early in the morning and coming in late at night. Indeed, he happens to be coming in late after she's already been home working on the science fair project. So uh, I, I, I think it doesn't do the story a whole lot of good that he comes down so so hard on her and it's not necessarily an internal reflection that she's having on the difficulty that comes later for her but in these scenes he's just being kind of a jerk uh and yeah it's it's the the things in this movie that sort of stick out as like you know not super well polished or don't don't work super well are the things that it's like the very juvenile like ultimatum like you're either going to be my best friend or we're not going to be friends at all like that kind of junk and like mm-hmm. it, it's sort of reflected in the the personal relationships between uh you know her and Adrian and then her her friend at the uh the photo gallery the the photo gallery scene is one that I go come on that's not a thing that adults would do where they would like I don't even know who you are anymore and then like run off but like we'll get to that eventually I'm sure but yeah. like oh my god you saw your friend flirt with somebody at a photo gallery that must mean that they're entirely different I don't even know you anymore like, oh god that that one does not work. No, uh, but, you know, it, it, we we go to the meeting that they're having about uh, the the editorial options that they need to make because she wants to, rev- Miranda wants to revamp some stuff. Uh, there's, you know, we got to, we got to, you know, do this thing. And it's like, well, what about florals? Florals for spring, groundbreaking. Uh, and she just sort of like poops on everybody's ideas except for Nigel. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Emily Blunt is ill. Uh, but she's trying to work through it because it is very important to her, uh, as we've established in the course of this film, that she go to Paris and that she cannot be sick. She cannot miss work. She has to be giving her all. And she goes into the meeting very ill and uh, hands a note to Miranda Priestley, who, you know, asks for some hand sanitizer. Uh, it, the, the look of disgust is is quite quite evident and uh, Anne Hathaway is going to be leaving work, and she's so excited. She's got you know time to go spend with Adrian Grenier for his birthday, uh, and uh, Emily's going to go to the thing tonight, which is a big deal. And nope, Emily's too sick. So now you are drafted, and you are going as well. And we we were going to have a bunch of people at this you know thing because somebody decided to be the host of the bubonic plague, but um. They, no, isn't that what, that's that's one of your favorite lines uh incubus uh-huh. for viral plague yeah incubus for viral plague oh god it's so good and they <laughs> they go to the the museum thing and they're all dressed up uh and 
there are the scenes where they have to guess, you know, who who is who at the thing. Right. They, their job is to memorize uh, a binder full of photos and backstories of all of these people who will be there because Miranda can't be bothered. So when these people are on their way up to her, they have to sort of lean over and go like, that's so-and-so dude, and here's where he's coming from, and that's so-and-so lady. So she can pretend like, oh, I know exactly who you are, and we have a great personal relationship. Ha, ha, ha. Isn't fake schmoozing super important? Yeah, and they even have a scene where... Uh, uh, Anne Hathaway and Emily Blunt actually are nice to one another where they pay each other some compliments uh, and just like oh you're, you're so skinny it's like oh thank you I'm one stomach flew away from my goal weight um, which I always is... think of her diet advice uh, I don't eat and then when I think I'm about to pass out I eat a cube of cheese <laughs> it's I mean if you were to be very literal about this this is of course not healthy and it is <laughs> perpetuating a certain stereotype but uh, it is it is the way it's played for laughs I I find acceptable uh and laugh at uh they they're the you know so beautiful blah 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 etc flashes going off cut 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 uh and then there's this is the so-and-so so-and-so that emily blunt says and so you know it doesn't appear that Anne needs to be there and then uh somebody comes along and it is somebody that emily can't remember and Anne hathaway has to bust in and say oh it's so-and-so and the you know, girlfriend that he left the wife for. And this is also where we meet uh, Jacqueline, the uh, head of runway for Paris. Uh, and and there there is a conflict. Although you don't necessarily, I don't I don't know if there is uh, hatred from Miranda uh, and from Jacqueline toward one another, or if it's just Miranda who hates Jacqueline. But, I'm gonna go with just Miranda. Yeah, because. Jacqueline seems very nice, although I don't like her hair. Uh, and they, they, <laughs> she's uh, also, uh, I, I knew she looked familiar, but you know, she was the one of the uh, extremist people in uh, Iron Man 3. Oh, I did not know that. Is she the, is she, she's, she's the main the female short red hair who okay. with the scar on her face? Yeah, yeah. Who, who goes and like, doesn't she like, burn down a telephone pole or something i don't know oh yeah she's well she's the one in the uh the restaurant where he kicks the gas line or whatever and blows uh, well good for her oh, oh that's right she ends up on top of the the, the power lines outside uh but uh so they you know she she pulls her weight at this thing Anne hathaway's impresses her and then she gets uh home to adrian grenier just in time to light the cupcake with the single candle and for him to be sitting alone in the dark staring at nothing, because that is something everyone does. Yeah, this is another one of those scenes that they redeem themselves a little bit later because, you know, he has a, a few lines that sort of, you know, go the other direction on this. But it's one of those ones where it's like, oh, he's sulking because his girlfriend had to work and couldn't come to his birthday party. Boo hoo. How old are you? Yeah. Oh, but then he literally says that later. Like, I'm not mad about the birthday. What am I? Four years old. But it's like in this particular scene, they play it pretty much like, you know, uh, we we had all these fun plans and she couldn't come because she had to work, even though she said she was going to come. And now I'm super sad. It's like, chill out, dude. Like, it's a birthday. I Maybe this is a me thing because I don't give a crap about celebrating birthdays personally, but that's me. Okay. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I would be a little disappointed if somebody, you know, if I made plans with somebody and they, they bailed on my birthday. But uh, he, he 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 sort of 
you know, is quite cross. Uh, they they have a, another scene where she goes to deliver the book to Miranda. It's on a different day because she's wearing a different outfit. And uh, Miranda calls her back there to the little seating area that she's in. And she's very impressed uh, with the work that Andy's been doing and uh, doesn't want Emily to go to Paris. She wants Andy to go to Paris. But she doesn't want to tell Emily. She wants Andy to tell Emily that she's not going. And this is especially cruel because that's all Emily Blunt's character had wanted through the entire course of the film. So uh, the fact that the boss is making the assistant tell the other assistant that they can't go to the thing that they've always wanted to do is not a very nice maneuver. No, Uh, but I mean, you know, from a... Again, from a business standpoint, you go like, well, I'm going to bring this super sick assistant all the way to Paris with me. Like, I, this, I don't think it's particularly an in, instant, instance like the, uh, the the ball thing where she's going to be like, oh, I'll bring both of you in case you're still sick. Uh, you can help pick up the slack. It's like, no, I need somebody on top of their game because this is a big, important thing. So that's going to be you now, and it's not going to be the sick one. And then... <laughs> You know, she tells her to, the next day at the office, she's like, well, you need to tell Emily right now. Call her. And then she calls her while she's frantic running around the street. She's still very frazzled from being sick, but, you know, she's a little behind on her work. And in the midst of the phone conversation, she gets hit by a cab and uh, scarves go flying everywhere. Because uh, this is a callback specifically. There, there are a couple callbacks here because, uh, first of all, uh, she walks in with her coat and her purse, and instead of dumping them on uh, Anne Hathaway's desk, like she has done through the course of this film, uh, she instead pivots uh, very purposefully from Anne Hathaway's desk over to Emily's desk and dumps the coat directly on top of Anne Hathaway uh, on top of uh, Emily Blunt's uh, monitor and drops off the purse. And, and that's, that's as formal an indication as any that you are now taking her role and you've been promoted and she has been demoted. Yeah, like you are now the first assistant and she is now the second assistant again. Uh, and we we have the frantic phone call with her running through the streets. And this is a callback to the, the sort of work that uh, Andy was doing at the very beginning when she had to go get the scarves from Hermes. Uh, and indeed scarves go everywhere when she gets hit uh and it's it's quite you know it's tragic like emily blunt is not a completely unlikable villain in in the course of this uh much to her credit i think she's quite likable and in a certain capacity we do root for her and we are sorry that she doesn't get to go to paris even though she hasn't exactly been super nice to anyone (laughs) Got any fun plans this weekend? Yes. Watch out. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it's just the utter disgust of having to just, just, just uh, describe anything to her, to discuss anything with her. But uh, she she goes to the, the hospital to meet with Emily, who's, who's been injured, and she's eating her lunch. And she's very upset about the pudding. Uh, and she's just, like, tearing apart the pudding. And she's, up, uh, you know, all the dieting, all the, the, the couture that uh, Anne Hathaway is going to get. That's what really bothers her. And she doesn't, she doesn't she's not going to care. She's not going to appreciate it like she will. You don't really care about fashion. You, you just want to be a journalist. Uh, and what a part of bollocks. Emily, I know you're mad. I don't blame you. Face it, Andy. You sold your soul. The day you put on that first pair of Jimmy Choo's, I saw it. And do you know what really just kills me? about this whole thing is the clothes that you're going to get. I mean, mm, 
don't deserve them. You eat carbs, for Christ's sake. God, so unfair. Insult to injury. Not only did I get hit by a car and broke an ankle or a leg or something, I don't get to go to Paris and... Yeah, not, I mean, it's not only the, you know, you're not going to appreciate it because you don't care about fashion. It's also the, you should have said no, you're backstabbing me kind of thing. And mm -hmm. she's like, no, I had no choice because the big boss said so. And it, again, this is another one of those instances where they hammer on it a little harder later. But it's like, you know, everything you do is a decision that you make and you have to live with the consequences, good, bad, or indifferent. There are consequences and you have to own them, take responsibility. So, you know. She doesn't realize that until literally the very end of the movie, but that's what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for, for God's sake, you eat carbs. Um, and uh... <laughs> you don't deserve to go to Paris because you eat carbs. Yeah. Inserts br uh, bread roll into mouth and chew. Yeah. Uh, and then, then we get the infamous gallery scene that you talked about. Uh, now, while I had liked most of the cinematography and editing in here, there are some spinning camera shots that I don't appreciate. Um, <laughs> the... The, a lot the, of vignetted lenses in this movie. Yeah, tons. Some, some of them are because you can tell, like, when they do some of the exterior daytime stuff in New York, the camera guy is really, really far away with a really long lens, so they're not, like, walking right next to Anne Hathaway and, like, blowing all of the, you know, people just staring at them. Uh, mm -hmm. But, yeah, they, they vignette pretty hard. Yeah, but uh, these uh, these night shots here in the gallery, where there's the back and forth, and... Uh, 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 sketchy guys here and so she's talking to she's talking to the mentalist and she gets caught by the other friend talking to the mentalist and it's like as you said she goes a little over the top with the i don't even know you anymore yeah well, i mean she's you know he's flirting or whatever and he's walking in circles around her which is a little creepy and then he gives her a kiss on the cheek and she kind of like blushes and smiles and it's like uh aw yeah. shucks or whatever and then her friend is just staring at her <laughs> mouth open like oh my god but she i mean I will say, you know, the friend does have some right to be surprised. I just think that it's a little over the top. Certainly, yeah. Surprise would be one thing. But it, yeah. instead of, like, storming away and being like, you're betraying your boyfriend. I don't even know. You'd be like, you know, I would expect a friend to be like, what was that? What's going on? Maybe let's have a conversation about it. Would you care to explain to me what just happened? Because clearly I don't understand it. It's not just like, no, what I just saw with my eyes, there couldn't possibly be another explanation for it. And you are betraying all of us. And I don't even know you anymore. You're dressing differently now. And that means you're a different person. And goodbye. I'm storming away. It's like, yeah. Uh, no. and, then, and then there's the thing with Adrian uh, where they argue in the street. And it's just like, you know, he shows up right after they have that argument. He's like, oh, you're going to Paris? You know, because he hears the tail end of it. And she's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, I thought that was Emily's thing. It's like, ah, stop hassling me. He's like, wait, what? I'm dumb. And then they argue in the street about. Yeah, it's <sighs> this. This is I don't know. It's almost like a B plot that I just don't care that much about. But uh, but like the earlier scene, I think that he overreacts quite significantly to the events as they unfold. She also. S sort of underreacts as she did when she was kissed by sketchy guy um uh but it doesn't really matter because i don't care and we cut to paris and montage of getting ready for fashion week don't forget don't forget they they agree that they're on a break before paris oh yes yeah, so this is important Very because important. 
Yeah, we we were on a break, Ross says to Rachel. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the only thing that would have made like that B-plot a little bit more effective is like the only sense that you get that they have a very uh, long, serious relationship is when her friend uh, Lily there is like ranting at her. It goes like, you used to, you know, be 100% dedicated to him for your whole life. You, you know, wanted nothing. You were always there early and blah, blah, blah. Like she, she like monologue shouts like their entire relationship history at Andy right there and if you didn't really have any other context you'd be like well this movie takes place over like three weeks so I don't know how long she's been dating this guy and I don't know why it's super serious that, that like they're having this argument in the street and they need to take a break and that's like a big thing for both of them but uh, I mean you kind of have to like jump right from the the Lily thing to uh, him having that conversation in the street and like oh this is a very serious deal sure her character is really changing and there's a big break in you know what she has known in the past, and she's moving in a different direction now. Yeah. Um, and we go from from that to that montage, and we establish that sketchy guy is also along for the ride to Paris. <laughs> uh, and she goes to deliver something to Miranda, and Miranda wants to talk about this, the seating chart, but she's, she's sitting there in a bathrobe without her makeup on and uh, with reading glasses, and it looks like she has been crying quite a bit. Uh, and indeed it does appear that she has been because, uh, she is going to be getting a divorce and, uh, her husband will not be joining them. And, you know, she, she doesn't care about, you know, what the press says about her, but it's not, it's not fair to her girls that they have to go through all of this stuff. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's quite a humanizing moment for her that we see something that has thus far in the film only been hinted at that there is there is more dimension to her there's more depth to her it's not just like anger and rage and punishment uh that that <laughs> spews from her at all times no like, it's a great scene for a yeah. ton of reasons you you see depth of her character you also see the fact that like she's actually slightly opening up to Andy and part of that it could be because like you know Andy accidentally caught her in that moment in her house but part of it could just be that like you know she stepped up and she's like you know, she's she's risen above Emily in the sense that, that, you know, they're not equals or whatever, but she respects her as a person enough to sort of like open up and say a few things. And that that really sort of, you know, it moves the relationship between the two of them to the next level, which is important for the end of the movie. But then the other thing it does is like, you, you know, and again, a lesser performance from Streep, it could have been like, you know, she's just like she's really focused on work and she doesn't have any emotion or whatever. But I, I think she really does sort of like she admits that she has faults or whatever, and she has feelings and this hurts and stuff, but she, she moves back to focus on work very quickly. And it sort of like breaks Anne Hathaway's heart. Cause she's like super sad that, you know, she just moves right past it, but you know, that, that that's like her coping mechanism. She goes back to working hard because that's what she does and that's what she knows best. And that's how she can cope. And you can see Anne Hathaway going like, Oh my God, that like, this is, this is super sad that you have to deal with this. And it's super sad that this is the way you have to cope with it. Like you, you seem so lonely and I wish I could help you, but there's, you know, nothing I can do except she said, what can I do? And she says your job. And it's like, okay, I just need the rest of my life to be as stable as possible while my personal life is having issues. Otherwise, like I would lose my freaking mind if everybody started falling to pieces. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely pity that, uh, she feels for Miranda, uh, here, uh, she she has genuine concern, but she's also, you know, like, oh, this is someone that is vulnerable and, like, I don't want something bad to happen to her. And that is important for how some later scenes play out. Uh, 
and we 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 really uh, get an A plus acting performance from Streep, and uh, supposedly it was her idea to do this scene without makeup on um, to to really drive home that that this was her character at at her most vulnerable and open, uh, and and I, I you know I think that works. Uh, now they they discuss immediately seating plan things. And uh, I love that she says we have to move Snoop Dogg to my table. Yeah. Like, oh, celebrities from 2006 who might be at a fashion event. Snoop Dogg. Sure. People will know who that person is. Yeah. We have to move Donatella. She's not really talking to anybody. Um, and uh, she she goes to talk to Stanley Tucci and they're discussing things. And Stanley Tucci's really excited because he's going to get his big chance to be the, the designer for Mass Mutual person <laughs> he's gonna design for the person uh and he's gonna work with james holt international yeah expanding yeah and then no 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 not james holt international i thought it was a uh, uh, james holt ends up taking his job no, no no james holt and some investor are expanding globally uh-huh. and he's he's gonna be partners with james holt oh okay oh and it's jacqueline that gets the job yeah they, they, uh, sure. all right that's yeah, what it was sorry brain fart uh so they <laughs> gosh joe yeah so they they share some champagne and he compliments her and she put it together for herself her little dress and he's like oh that's that's so great and it's like it's it's a black blazer and a black skirt let's not like lose our minds but uh so they they have that little scene to celebrate and then she goes out and has uh a, an evening with uh schmucky mcschmuck uh, out on the town with the city you gotta, lights. You call him by his real name. Christian Thompson is the character name because that's like the schmuckiest of all names. Yeah. And then we cut to the morning after where she's leaving his, his hotel room. She's uh, late. She forgot to set an alarm because she was drunk and wandering around Paris. And oh no, ah, awkward montage getting dressed fast. And she knocks over his briefcase and out comes a, a <laughs> bored mock-up of what the new runway is going to look like, why he had that there we don't know for plot reasons it's it's a bit of a mystery um and uh we we get the the scenes of um a very soft focus and misaligned uh eiffel tower out of the window of his <laughs> his uh hotel room uh, which is supposedly the w in new york uh and uh it's it's kind of it's, it's, it's very weird if you just keep staring at it i don't know why they felt like it's like we need to make sure that everyone knows they're in paris in the scene it's like i'm kind of looking at something that's distracting from the performances of the actors maybe it just could have been a wall or something but mm, uh they I must have missed that i'll have to watch it again yeah you know, it's a little disappointing uh so they they have this conversation where she's like oh it's so mean how could you do that and it's like it's business you don't understand and it's like oh you're you're wrong and i'll show you and you don't understand anything and i re- i have some regrets about how things went last evening uh and so she she gets out of there uh when christian thompson in his his <laughs> coffee and his his little towel around his waist uh he's sipping and looking at the newspaper uh she runs back to the saint regis in new york and uh they have uh a conversation she she tries to have a conversation with miranda uh, but she's cut off at every opportunity, uh, and Miranda seems very unconcerned with the the uh, urgency with which 
Anne Hathaway wants to dis- discuss the, the, her her little news tidbit with her. She's like, Frisia? Do I smell Frisia? Um, she's very obsessed by that. By that. But uh, that's just to distract her because it's all part of Miranda's evil plan. It's not really that evil, but uh, it's it's not nice. Uh, and we have the unveiling of the James Holt line uh, with Massimo and you know it's like yay you guys are gonna have great stuff happen now and then Miranda gets up there to make the announcement and it's like oh wow this is gonna be great and Anne Hathaway's like oh no this is terrible Miranda doesn't know and I can't tell her how is how is this gonna go down afterwards like she's gonna get fired and Jacqueline will get her job and then sure enough she unveils Jacqueline instead of Stanley Tucci because it was her plan all along. And she had, uh, she unveils in the car in a series of flashbacks. She had informed Irv uh, that the, this is how things were going to go because she had all these designers who would follow her if she left and that she was going to give Jacqueline this job uh, because that would get Jacqueline out of the business and then she wouldn't have to worry about it. And there was no way that anything bad would happen to her now. Mwahaha. And it's like, but how could you do that to Stanley Tucci's character? How could you do that to Nigel? And she's like, you know, tough you know yeah. nigel said, understands i i could never do what you just did to him you crushed his hopes and dreams and just <laughs> like, in a slightly over dramatic way she says you already have with emily yeah and the uh, uh I, I, the 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 views outside of the car are <laughs> bad they're bad the, the f- i think i think they might be composited in i think they might be as well <laughs> uh it, it would have been nice if they like tracked with the car or they added some camera shakes so it looked like there was someone in a moving vehicle uh well, also with they're a going camera. around a roundabout because it's in paris so it's yeah. very awkward that's it's it wasn't a good idea and there's like a weird gradient that's supposed to simulate the window tint it's it's it's, it's a peculiar choice uh i think they could have just found like some random uh roundabout somewhere else in like dc or new york or something and just driven around that uh instead and just been like yes it is totally paris cut to a wide shot uh but but it instead they did the green screen thing but you know car shots are hard uh and this is where uh anne hathaway's character decides that she's going to totally leave and she walks right up to the fountain and she drops her sidekick in there when it starts ringing the t-mobile tone and how do, how do you like that, T-Mobile? How do you like that, Catherine Zeta-Jones, who who was the spokesperson at the time this movie was made? Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, you know, a lot of it is the, uh, you know, the coming to realize, like, you know, uh, the, this is the kind of person you have to be to survive in this environment. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be that kind of person. What are you talking about? Everybody wants to be like us, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then she finally realizes, you know, maybe there is a line where, I, you know, I would say, no, this is too much for me. Like, I have to take a uh, a personal stand against this sort of behavior. And she reaches that point. And it, again, in a slightly uh, juvenile fashion, decides to make a big show of her leave. Rather than saying, like, I quit see you back in new york thanks for the opportunity i hope you well in the future uh she just goes out the other side of the car and throws her phone in the water yeah which i guess is her doing like her her impression of what miranda would do if she were going to quit a job on principle or something but uh 
you know, that, that's because, of course, Miranda gives her a little nod of, like, uh, respect later. But, you know, you could just be like, yeah, that's this is where I draw the line. Sorry, lady. Bye. I quit. Yeah, it's also kind of not bright because... <laughs> That was your phone. Um, <laughs> well, it was the company's phone. Presumably she has her own phone. Yeah, well, I guess. I hope so. Uh, we never see her use it with, with anyone in her personal life, but uh, it, I'm just thinking of like how I would get back if I were to throw my iPhone into a fountain. But you know, If you were in Paris and you just threw your phone <laughs> into a fountain, I mean, first of all, your phone would probably be fine because they're kind of sort of waterproof these days, but yeah, you would be hosed. Yeah. Well, so the phone wouldn't be all washed up, but I would. Anyway, so... The... You're all washed up in this business, Steel. Yep. Okay. Uh, so they, they, she somehow manages to get back to New York through the magic of dissolves, and <laughs> they they meet... Uh, she meets uh, up with uh, Adrian Grenier at a oh, restaurant. They cut out a really awkward scene, because they were probably flying together on the same flight in first class, like next to each other, like pretending they don't see each other. Uh, something tells me she probably got like a different ticket because um, something tells me she wouldn't be traveling on the company's dime uh, if she had just quit so dramatically in Paris <laughs> and abandoned her job. But I think you're assuming she makes enough money to afford a trip back from Paris. She probably would have just like, well, we'll just put this on the expense account for one last time. Yeah, I guess. Uh, or she sold some of her couture. But uh, she winds up at the uh the 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 daily new york mirror place fake tabloid um <laughs> fake new york yeah. newspaper magazine thing yeah as that is the the old uh gray aunt um as they say the the old gray lady is already taken by the different publication but uh yeah that, that famous old new york newspaper i don't you know what you can tell it's a scrappy little newspaper too because the boss just has a little desk in the middle of a bullpen mhm <laughs> Yeah, well, that's how you have a flat management structure, um, and and not not something like she had just come from, you know. And, and he, of course, says, you know, I got this ringing endorsement f- for you from uh, Miranda Priestley, who said I would be an idiot not to hire you. Uh, and she's very surprised by that because she doesn't think that Miranda would necessarily say anything after the way things had shaken out. But Miranda seems to have some level of respect. Uh, and Anne Hathaway calls Emily at work and says. You know, I I have all this stuff from Paris, and I don't have anywhere to wear it, so I need to unload this somehow. And she's like, "Well, it's an awful inconvenience." Uh, <laughs> she tries to play down how how much she actually wants all of the clothes, uh, and and it, it's 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 nice. She gets off the phone, she turns to the the new number two assistant, and she says, "You know, you've got some big shoes to fill, uh, and and you got a lot to you know work up to and live up to, and blah 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 blah." Uh, pep talk and Anne Hathaway away on her crutches yeah and Anne Hathaway makes eye contact with Miranda uh from afar and waves and smiles and Miranda doesn't make any other sign of acknowledgement other than looking directly at her getting in the car and taking off her sunglasses um and that is very Miranda well she uh, smiles a little bit to herself once she's in the car yeah but not not uh, not like to a person she's just, <laughs> she's she's just you know, not interacting with human society. Uh, but, you know, throughout this yeah. movie, you, you kind of get the sense that if she takes a moment of pause to look you in the eyes, there's at least some acknowledgement of your existence. So that's that's about as acknowledged as you're going to get. Yeah, and it lasts for two seconds because then she's very upset the driver isn't dri- dri- driven off. Uh, and uh, she, she she turns and go. Uh, and uh, they're out of there. That's the, the last little 
line of the film and the music and walking and credits and isn't that amazing no you, you missed a scene the, the very end scene where she goes and meets up with boyfriend oh he's, yeah. he's got a job he had a job interview up in boston no gonna... that, that happened way before that that's when i said they, they they she met up with him after the dissolve no i thought that was after the miranda thing no that was that was the first thing after the dissolve because she fixed her personal life then she went to the job interview. Then she did the Miranda thing, and they go out on the Miranda thing. Oh, that's right, because she said, I have a job interview today, you're right. Because yeah. he's going to go be a sous chef in Boston, and they're kind of like, well, maybe you can come with me. I hear they have Charlesburg there, too, and I'll make you more sandwiches and stuff. they make sandwiches. Um, so- <laughs> now he's going to be a sous chef. He'll make all kinds of things. Yeah. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> so He goes on to eventually be Aquaman, so good good. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, director of this, I think, he did, uh, like, two episodes of Entourage? I, I don't know, actually. Uh, it doesn't surprise me, since that's also an HBO show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, li- I, I, I like this film, and I don't think it's for any one particular component that I would call out. I think that it works very harmoniously, as I said earlier, uh, together. Uh, and so you've got amazing costume work and... Uh, uh, editing and directing performances delivered by the cast here uh, are stellar. Um, given that this is a thirty-five million dollar movie, um, good good job. Yeah, so A plus. Mm-hmm. And, and on that thirty-five million dollar budget, they only had a hundred a hundred thousand for costumes, but Patricia Field used all of her connections from being involved in things to score about a million dollars worth of costumes for this. <laughs> I was going to say, how do you make a movie about high fashion without, like, nice clothes and stuff? Yeah, because even, like, the uh, according to Wikipedia, the most expensive thing in the whole, the whole, most expensive singular item in the whole film was uh, a necklace that uh, Meryl Streep wore in one scene, which was $100,000. So that was the entire budget of the film, had they actually had to purchase any of this. But it's all begged and borrowed and stuff and returned uh, so that they could make this this production work on the budget that they had. And uh, I think they did a really good job of that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not it's not like some of the other films where you see a character transformed and it's like, oh, you just like took off her glasses and like put on like clothes that fit. Uh, like the, they're actually wearing fancy things and they're styled. Uh, it's not like one particular designer or one particular piece of garment or something like that. So they, they have a very coherent look and it's like they stepped out of a magazine every time you see somebody who is supposed to look like that, uh, who's supposed to look like they care about high fashion. So I, I, I really applaud the way that they made uh, the film uh, and, and uh, kudos to them. Yeah, and you can understand why you would probably get some participation from, uh, you know, the fashion industry in this because, you know, again, this could have been a very much like, oh, the people who work in the fashion industry are shallow and mean and blah, blah, blah. But this actually is, you know, sort of legitimizing these people as doing hard work and doing real important things that are important to them and important to millions of other people around the world. And it's uh, it's not just a shallow, nonsensical job where we take pictures of people dressed up. There's there's actual humans behind it putting blood, sweat, and tears into this stuff. And, you know, why wouldn't you want to help show off, you know, the best about the industry? So, like, why don't you join us and help us out and send us a bunch of free clothes? <laughs> well, it, there was uh, the, the wrinkle, though, of uh, this being 
based on a book, which was a takedown of Animator. So there were people who wanted to distance themselves from the production of the film, um, lest they uh, receive wrath from from her. Uh, which I'm I sure would... those people like read the script though and go like, okay, this isn't actually that bad. Oh well, that's why many of them donated clothes. But I think like, uh, oh shoot, who was it? I, I can't remember. But there's only one actual designer who's in the film and the rest of it is designers who contributed clothes uh and and that's it and anna wintour even showed up for the premiere of this wearing prada uh head to toe prada Uh, and she made supposedly made some comment about this going direct to dvd and she didn't think very highly of it at the time but uh, over time i think she warmed to it because of meryl streep's performance and the recognition that the movie received uh that it wasn't as one note. Um, I think that she still probably hates the book, but um, it's, <laughs> it's it, you know, I, I, I haven't even bothered to read the book as illustrated by almost every single time we talk about a movie that's from a book on this podcast. We don't read them because we're horrible at reading things and we don't do that. And we hate books. And that's why we have our annual defocused um uh book drowning where we uh <laughs> toss all of the books into the Boston Harbor. Yeah. Mhm. No. No. Um, Boston's too far away even if they do have cheese. Yeah, well, I think they're known for their tea, Dan. Mm. Mm. I don't drink tea, I drink coffee. Yeah, they're known for the they're known for their tea and their their Wahlburgers. Oh no, not the Wahlburgers. Ah, <laughs> uh, god. I don't know what it is, but Somehow, on several flights that I've been on, it it is like they have one channel of entertainment in the seatbacks that is pre-programmed to nothing but episodes of the Wahlburgers. <laughs> have you actually watched the show then? Well, I've seen it that way, where I'm not hearing audio, but I just see the, the visuals of that process unfolding. Um, I don't want to check it out as it were it can it can remain unchecked mm. yeah yeah no i've seen the title as i scroll through the uh the guide but now i've never seen the show you've never partake you didn't partake of the Wahlburgers. no i think there are many other places where i could get uh, a burger and uh i don't need that uh-huh don't need none of that yep Anyway, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Thank you for doing it. Because, you know, sometimes you don't like good movies. Because you're infamous <laughs> for that. <laughs> Is that what I'm infamous for? Yeah, you, some movies you just hate things. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's basically everything, really. It's only got a 6.8 on uh, IMDb. Yeah, it's, it's like practically nothing. Mm. Mm-hmm. 2006. Movie's almost as old as Kyle. Yeah, well... Kyle's 10. <laughs> right, isn't he? No, I don't think that's how that works. Um, but but anyway, this is fun talking about this movie. And happy 10-year anniversary. 10 more years. 10 more years. Or something. I don't know. It's not really a person. It's just a movie. Um, if they were smart, they would do a uh, uh, like a, an anniversary edition of the uh, T-Mobile sidekick. Uh, gross. Um, but Remember when it had, a, it had that, that, that screen that like flipped out, like it spun around? Yeah, remember when Microsoft bought them and they made the kin? 
Oh, yeah. Remember the Microsoft Kin? Yeah, that was the square one, right? Well, they had two. There was a the square one and there was another one. Yeah, there was one that was more like bar-shaped and then the other one was square. Uh, what a what a, what a bad idea. Um, the company was called Danger. Uh, that was a, that was a good <laughs> name for a company. Called? Yeah, Danger. Um, mm. but uh, but you know we're not we're not here to talk about the ins and outs of the world of cellular telephones. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't even like a cell phone. It was like its entirely own ecosystem. Like it had like a proprietary email and text and internet system. Like back before all phones had that. Yeah, it had this weird like circular interface with like a thumb dial thing that you could roll on it. Yeah, I I didn't have one. Um. But neither did, neither did I. Yeah, the, I mean, and then you got the the computers who you know this is this is before the Thunderbolt display even existed before it was canceled. <laughs> like people people uh, people love displays from Apple apparently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If this were if this were a modern movie, they'd probably both have uh, Retina IMAX or or little uh, <laughs> uh, MacBooks. Gold gold and pink that would be nice. Mm, that would be nice, yeah. It's fashionable. Yeah. Match your laptop to your outfit. Yep. Well, they'd also probably have the, the a whole segment of this movie that's just a montage of Apple watch bands. Because oh, for sure. Apple's really a fashion company these days. Yeah, and It's about the and, accessories. And, you know, if they were running down to Hermes this time, they would probably get a couple scarves and a couple of iPhone watch or Apple watch bands. Yeah, when Emily Blunt gets hit, it's just nothing but Hermes watches flying up in the air. <laughs> oh, that's that's uh, you can see a close up on the time too, and time slows down. No, that's only if they were on. Because remember, they got a safe battery, Dan. But they overshot the estimate, so it's it's always got extra battery. Uh, over overshoot, undershoot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What uh, what sort of fashionable scarves and watch bands go best with sweatpants? Uh, probably one of those bedazzled things that's like princess on it or something. I have no idea. <laughs> what color uh, MacBook should I get to match my sweatpants? Should I go space gray because I have gray sweatpants? Or wait, are you getting a MacBook or are you waiting for the MacBook Pro refresh? You think they're gonna do colors in the MacBook Pro refresh? Oh, for sure. They, I mean, all of this, all this color nonsense that they're doing with everything else. Of course, they're gonna do it with the MacBook Pro. No, now, no. I don't know if they're necessarily gonna have all of the colors. But they're gonna at least have the 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 dark gray uh, color and the normal silver toned color. But if they don't they're have... have original RoboCop color and reboot RoboCop color, oh, that's a good way to think about it. Um, and the, you know, if they don't if they don't have if they don't have pink and gold, I'll be a little disappointed. But uh, what I really want them to do is uh, they'll they'll do something wacky next, and it'll be like turquoise or or they'll call it like emerald or uh, uh sapphire or something and it'll just be some green or blue color um it'll be like that's not a metal um but uh, or maybe they'll call I, I would, it like i would go with a, an anodized sort of like aluminum teal laptop i would be up for that oh totally to- i mean teal teal is so in right now <laughs> teal is so hot it's, it's it won't be lapis it won't be turquoise but you know cerulean uh, yeah they, they better call it cerulean C- cerulean macbook and then uh. there can be a big long uh, page on the website uh, extolling the backstory about how this movie in 2006 really sort of brought Cerulean back. It, it was it was not a very popular color until the Devil Wears Prada. And then uh, there will be uh, Johnny in his white room, and uh, an assistant will be 
laughing because the the, the two watchband colors for uh, the that they're suggesting for the uh, and the laptop color look so so different and you know he'll be like oi something funny and then he'll <laughs> I don't know why he's, he's got a terrible fake Australian accent, but <laughs> then, 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 you know, he'll, he'll lay into it and be like, yeah, it, you know, it, it, the, the whole thing with the Cerulean stuff, it'll be nice. It'll be a nice refresh of that. Um, and they can put it on uh, Apple Music Connect and then we'll never be able to watch the video. It'll be it'll be wonderful. He does speak very softly, like Miranda Priestly. He does, but something tells me he's probably just slightly nicer. <laughs> <laughs> probably a little bit. Yeah. Um although Scott Forstall maybe uh not not as not as uh wonderful supposedly. Well, he doesn't work there anymore. He's not making Apple Watch bands. Yeah. And Tony Fidel maybe he'll have different colors on the Nest thermostat now that he isn't in charge of it anymore. That'll be Yeah, I was going to say didn't he leave the company? Uh I don't think that was of his own choosing and I don't think he was positioned as the designer taking over for something else in order to get him out of competition for anything i think he's just been quietly dismissed um but uh but anyway that's the world of apple fashion and uh you know music and fashion are is there any problem in this movie yeah yes uh I, I've looked that up because I don't actually recognize Prada by sight because <laughs> I, I am a human being. Um, and but the the uh, the shoes she's wearing when she gets off the elevator in the first scene are Prada. There's uh, I think the I think Patricia Field said that like forty percent of the shoes that she, that Miranda Priestly is wearing through the film are Prada, uh, as well as some of the other accessories are Prada. Um, I do, couldn't identify any of this by sight, but uh, I, I will take her word for it. <laughs> mm. You know who yeah. else wears a lot of Prada? Is uh, Justin Timberlake in that Social Network movie? Oh, apparently uh, the Napster guy had uh, like custom tailored, like stitched, custom Prada stuff. His whole wardrobe. Ugh. I, I don't really particularly care for Sean, <sighs> but we, we can we can save that for when we do the Social Network. Okay. Why haven't we done that movie yet, Dan? Is it because you love it so much? Probably. You're afraid that I won't love it as much as you love it? You're afraid the audience won't love it as much as you oh, love it? I don't it? care if you don't love it. I love it. Okay. You can't stop me from loving The Social Network. Can't stop, won't stop. Nope. I know everything that's great slash wrong about it. Sh- sure. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. We just need to find you a guest that you can ramble on about how much <laughs> you love it, and then I can just sit there quietly. Uh-huh. And you'll sure. check you'll check and see if I still have a pulse every now and then. <laughs> Defend your position, Joe. Yeah. Uh, that'll be a good episode. Um, so uh, I think that concludes everything about everything that we've ever talked about in the history of the universe. Yes? No? Maybe? I don't, I don't hear an affirmative. You want to talk about the subscription thing? Oh, um yes except except uh there there thank you for a casual reminder dan but uh we uh uh have failed on several occasions to communicate uh the the wonderfulness of the incomparable subscriptions uh that are available to you if you want to be a member of the incomparable and support the fine network of incomparable podcasts uh you can select which shows you actually like and select a dollar amount that you would like to contribute uh, it is entirely up to you, and it's based on a monthly thing, and you can go and check all that out, and we'll leave a link in the show notes. Uh, I would highly recommend that if you appreciate not just our show, but some of the other shows that you 
uh, consider, uh, uh, you know, a little, a little, uh, appreciation would be, would be appreciated. It'd be a mutual appreciation society is what I'm saying. Join uh, the club, join the, the, uh, the incomparable club or the are, focus club. You can be just part of our club or you can be part of the bigger club. No, it's really only the one club. We don't, we, Dan and I are not competent enough to handle payments <laughs> that is all, no, pro- no, it's all the, yeah it's all the same club it's just yeah. you can pick who you support you can support the whole network you can support us you mm-hmm. can support any number of shows you can support the whole social network but um so there's <laughs> there's check boxes and you can go like i like that one with the robots robots and uh you can go i i, I you know i'm not gonna check that box because defocus is terrible um i would appreciate it if you didn't do that but you know you do you and uh, that, 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 that concludes our sponsorship ad read for that because we don't do any other ad reads. And that is the only form of uh, supporting this podcast other than the occasional T-shirt, which we have done only one other time in our existence. So uh, uh, maybe, we should, maybe we should do that again. We should do T-shirts. Uh, perhaps we will. But there is also uh, the added benefit of members get access to certain feeds on the Incomparable Network that they don't get access to. Uh, there are special episodes that are done once per year. The day has not been announced yet for when that will be released, but we will. Dan and I will be releasing an episode of our podcast that will only be available to those members, uh, and that will that will be out there. And that is not to to turn off people or put them away, uh, push them away. It's just an added bonus for uh, people that that choose to subscribe. Uh, I don't usually like talking up that part because I don't want to make people feel like they're missing out uh, or they have to or anything. But, but you can't you can't argue with bonus content. No, well, you I mean you can. You can be like, I don't need this, and just because they're they're the success of streaming services is off the chain compared to disc sales, which have far more extras and content. So anyway, what I'm saying is just just <laughs> listen to us because we're amazing and we appreciate you just hearing the words that we say. And if you like listening to incoherent rambling like this, <laughs> then then please, by all means, go to iTunes and say something nice about us uh, and sign up for the memberships and whatevs. Uh, even, even just like reach out on Twitter and be like, you know what? I've heard worse. And I, I, would, <laughs> I would take that as a compliment. Really, hands down. Because you could, you could be someone who says things that are other than that and now you know hurt my feelings but uh i would appreciate the, the nice things nice things are nice who knew did we you know that dan our listens, lo- listeners and hugs and stuff no <laughs> hugging I, I, I i'm not a i'm not a big hugger please, i will hug please. the listeners Ugh. okay you say Let's, thank you and shake their hands and then i'll give them a hug i well after the illness that i suffered after wwdc from a lot of handshaking <laughs> i kind of don't want to shake anyone's hand don't you travel with like the little uh, hand sanitizer stuff no i think that was a big mistake i should, probably should have had the little wipes they have the, the little peppermint scented hand wipes um that you can you can rub your hands on or just like you know go wash your hands well I, I, I washed my hands excessively when I was in San Francisco. I think the problem is just the the amount of time you're not washing your hands um, versus the amount of times that you could possibly wash your hands is a little out of balance uh, for a city like San Francisco, which is seething in filth. Um, so <clears throat> uh, anyway, sorry, listeners who live in San Francisco, which I think is probably no one. Uh, so I'm not apologizing. Then I take it back. Uh, you, you're all horrible. Um, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll stay down here in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, SoCal's the best. Clean. 
Yes, everything about it is so clean. You could, you could lick Hollywood Boulevard. Um, but the uh... <laughs> disclaimer: Do not lick Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> no, don't do that at all. Um, th- those those stars are not lickable uh, on the on the sidewalk or otherwise. The ones that walk around or the, the ones in the sky. I don't think you're going to reach those. Um, don't keep reaching for the stars and uh... <laughs> don't lick the stars. No, no licking. Um, and uh, that that concludes a podcast. <laughs> Fashion. Ta-da.